uh, this is fun being outside. I I grew up in a church where uh, we we had this uh, church property that uh, this church. Uh, had bought this property years ago uh, before they finally moved out here and our church did the same thing except for we never moved and uh, but we would once a year do a big celebration outside like this and so uh, this just brings up fun and warm memories for me and uh, again I'm excited here in a little bit I'll preach shorter today which all God's people said amen, amen. Uh, because I want us to be able to celebrate baptism and really today uh, one of the one of the big goals of today, one of the things that we want is there to be community. So we really do hope, unless you have dire plans to stay after, to eat with us for a little while, um, to seek out people maybe you've never met before or haven't seen in a while. And uh, this would also be a great opportunity for uh, being together. You know, I don't know if this is the case for you who are parents or grandparents, but I often find that uh, when I am driving with my kids, uh, is when they say some of the most interesting things and things where I wish I had something to write down what they said. And in particular, my kids tend to ask a lot of questions about faith and the world and things like that. And so this week, uh, I'm driving with my two sons, Gideon and Silas. And, uh, oh, that's a reminder too, by the way, if there are any kids who want to go back to South Creek Kids who are out here, uh, that is your moment that you can head over there. Mr. Grayson is waving his hand. Uh, Grayson, wave your hand. There you go. No, your other hand. No, both hands. Thank you. Yeah, if anyone want, if any kids do want to go back to South Creek Kids, they're welcome to go back there, or you can hang out with me. That's just your moment. Anyways, I'm driving in the car with them. Uh, I am the one driving, just for context, by the way. I did not let my seven or four-year-old drive yet. Um, and we're driving in the car, and for whatever reason, questions about faith begin um, kind of arising about who is God and, and all those sort of things. And if you, if you don't know, we're in this series right now called uh, Who Told You? We're talking about lies that we often have been told or believe or live out. And uh, my boys began to, uh, uh, they began to uh, ask some questions, make some statements about um, faith in God. And uh, my son uh, Silas is uh, four. And if, if you've ever been around like a four-year-old, uh, sometimes even as the parent, you feel like you need an interpreter. Uh, like you need a Google Translate. And what I think I hear in the background is, Daddy, you know, Jesus, his ultimate rival is Santa. His ultimate rival? I'm, one, I'm impressed you know the word rival, but two, San Santa? He's like, yes, Santa. I'm like, the red guy? He's like, yes. And I'm like, the big you know, husky, no, Santa, the devil. And I'm like, oh, okay, you get it. But it's funny how sometimes little things where you might get misconstrued along the way, he's right about that, but sometimes along the way, uh, we as kids get misconstrued. We get things that are handed down from people, um, whether it's parents, Sunday school teachers, uh, kids on the bus, etc., who tell us things about God that whether they meant to or not, can sometimes set our trajectory of how we live in our faith Maybe not in the greatest way. Last week, we, we started uh, this series called Who Told You That? And in it, what we did is we went to the, back to the very beginning, to the moment in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve had chosen to sin, and then they felt shame because of their sin, and they hid. And God came to them in the garden, and he said to them, Who told you that? And ultimately, what he wanted them to know is he wanted to know who told you this lie that you believe that led you to sin. And ultimately, every single one of us as humans in this world will run into lies. 
And we'll have to trace the question back to who told you that. Now, we know Jesus said that the, the father of lies, the source of all lies, is Satan, not Santa. Um, it is the devil. It's the enemy. It's the tempter. It's his native language that he speaks, as Jesus uh, said. But the one thing that's terrible is that it can wreak havoc on our life, on our soul, on our relationships, if we do not ultimately take the antidote to every lie, which is the truth. And so this morning, uh, what I just want to briefly talk about is some of the lies that we believe about God himself. Because ultimately, every single one of us, whether we grew up in church, whether we've been coming to church for um, a week, or we've been coming to church for 80 years, every single one of us have been shaped and influenced in a picture of what we think God looks like, how he operates, what he thinks about. A.W. Tozer, who, who's a, a, a famous pastor, um, once said this, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he says this because ultimately what we believe about God, who he is, how he operates, what he thinks of us, ultimately reflects back how we will live, how we will have relationships with others, how we, we, how we will forgive, how will we order our lives. And it's really uh, an important thing because if we get it twisted about how God really is and how he operates, it can really send our life and our heart into a spiral. One of the issues is sometimes we uh, lean too far one way versus the other in the nature, in the character of God. John Mark Comer is, is a pastor who, uh, I've shared this quote before, but it's always worth uh, revisiting. He says this, he, he's talking about the idea of how oftentimes uh, lies have led to us creating God in the image that we most want. He says this, here's how you know if you've created God in your own image. He agrees with you on everything. He hates all the people that you hate. He voted for the person you voted for. If you're a Republican, so is he. If you're a Democrat, she is too. If you're passionate about fill in the blank, then God is passionate about fill in the blank. If you're open and elastic about sexuality, so is he. And above all, he's tame. You never get mad at him or blown away by him or scared of him because he is controllable. And he goes on saying this, often what we believe about God says more about us than it does about God. Our theology, the way that we think about God, is like a mirror to the soul. It shows what's deep inside of us. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about lies that we believe about ourselves, lies that we believe about others, lies that we believe about our purpose. But ultimately, as, he, uh, as, as, as John mentioned, Ultimately, what we believe about God transcends and goes across on all those other things. Because what we believe about God has to reflect back into what we believe about ourselves as his creation, if we believe that we are his creation. And so what I want to do just briefly with our time is talk about uh, a couple of categories of, how, uh, of lies that we believe about God. And I kind of have ordered them into this idea that we oftentimes we believe lies about God's character, about God's power about God's presence, about God's actions, and about how God feels about us. So we're going to go through each of them. And here's the, the thing that we must do if we want to defeat the lies that overtake our lives, our children's lives, our grandchildren's lives, is we have to begin to tell the truth. So let's talk about the character of God. Sometimes I hear people talk about lies like, well, he's mean, 
or unjust or unfair. Or I hear, well, obviously he's different from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Or I hear, well, he must be vindictive or maybe he's just apathetic and doesn't really care about us. Let me tell you about uh, what I have found in my own experience with God. I found that he deeply cares about us. That he is good even when I'm not good. That he is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. That he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That he is creator. That he is good. And ultimately, his character and how good he is reflects into the heart, at least of me as a follower, desiring to live out for others. So others may see goodness. Not in me, but in him reflected through me. In Exodus, uh, this is from a famous prayer called the Shema. This is what uh, uh, followers of God for years have been reminding themselves over and over. This is words from God himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Or in Hebrews, we're reminded that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Would you know that maybe you have subconsciously or consciously believed lies about the character of God, but would you know that even when things don't look good, that he still is good? Even when you don't think that he is gracious and loving, that he's just and mighty, that he is. Sometimes we believe lies about God's power. I don't know about you, but I, I've been confronted with the reality recently for myself that, that, that living and growing up in, in a world where uh, we know so much more about the world than people did before. There's often times where I want to rationalize everything. Where I want to get to this point where, where there has to be a, a logical explanation for everything, which then also typically means, at least for myself, that it has made it very difficult at times for me to still believe in things like miracles. Where I doubt the power of God to still change lives. Where I have doubted the, the power of God to take someone who I feel like just is in darkness and is, is running as far away from God. That if I'm honest, there's times where I, if, I, if I'm just being really real, maybe this is the truth for you too. Where I've come to the place where I've realized I have sabotaged my own faith in God by believing that he won't do what he has always done over and over. Which is whatever he wants. Which is to continue to bring sons and daughters of his who have gone astray and bring them back home. And one of the things I, is, is because sometimes I forget the words of Jesus when he says, "What with man things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. Sometimes I believe these lies because of my experiences, because of what I see other people saying, because I don't want to look funny. Because let's be honest, sometimes faith makes us look funny. It takes us actually trusting and believing in things that we cannot see. But God is powerful. He is all-powerful. He is good. And he gets his way always. Sometimes I believe lies about God's actions. Maybe you've heard this before. How could a loving God fill in the blank? How could he do this? How could he let this happen? How could he allow these people to have power? How could he allow this person to pass away? Sometimes I doubt that God's actions are good or sometimes if he's even moving, right? And yet when I, when I take a step back, ultimately, if I believe that God is truth, I believe that he is good, 
than in every situation in life. Who am I to look and say, I dare you, God? In Jeremiah, uh, there's this beautiful imagery of this idea of the potter and the clay. And just this idea of like, does the clay look up at the potter and say, you're doing it wrong? Of course not. Ultimately, we come back to this idea that if God is good, he is real, and he is true, then who am I to question any action that he has? And who am I to feel that I truly can understand an all-powerful, all-knowing God? Ultimately, I don't serve or desire to know a God who is manageable and easy to understand at all times. Because then at that point, who is he? What, what separates him from me? We have to believe that God's actions are good, even when we can't see everything going on. Even when we have to, again, walk by faith rather than sight. Sometimes I believe lies about God's presence. Anyone ever had a moment where you've just felt this? Maybe you've screamed it. Anyone else ever screamed out loud, where are you, God? Anyone ever felt that in the midst of maybe a, a diagnosis? Maybe you're sitting in the hospital uh, waiting room. Maybe you just got news uh, that you didn't get a certain job. There are moments where we believe lies that maybe God isn't really there. Maybe he's decided that he only wants to draw near to some people. Or maybe some, some of us have bought into the lie of maybe God did this cruel experiment where he started this and, and sort of like when we were a kid, maybe we had a science experiment that eventually made their way under our bed and it was about three years later when our mom made us clean our room that we finally found it. Anyone else? No? Just me. Okay. But sometimes I wonder if we believe these lies that maybe God really isn't uh, still working in our midst, that he's not really near to us, that he doesn't even really know us or care about us, that we're just sort of another number. You know, one of the things that's so interesting uh, is this reality that throughout Scripture, one of the ways that God is described as being a God that is with his people. In Exodus, uh, it, it says this. This is God speaking to Moses. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. In the Psalms, it says this. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. There's going to be so many moments in our lives where we are baited into believing that God isn't there. And ultimately, when we bait ourselves into believing that God is not there is when it's really easy for us to fall into temptation. And when we fall into temptation, obviously, uh, as Scripture talks about it, it drags us away. It brings death and destruction to our lives and to our hearts and to our souls. And ultimately, when we live a life where we know the truth that God is with us, that he desires to be with us. It changes the way that we choose to live. You know, you think about it. Oftentimes, you don't talk about someone or you don't act a certain way if someone's in a room, right? When we know that God is always with us, it changes our perspective to truly live out what he's called us to live out. It also maybe gives us a little fuel to the fire to really actually follow his will in his way. Because the reality is we are constantly, moment by moment, gonna be invited to follow our desires, follow pleasures that may give us momentary excitement and joy and relief, but ultimately will leave us feeling empty and alone. And here's the last thing that I think sometimes we, we struggle with. I think sometimes uh, we believe lies about how God feels about us. Anyone ever felt this feeling of 
uh, maybe you've gone to church or you've gone to a camp and you see God moving in someone's life and you're like, man, that's awesome. But that can't happen for me. Maybe you uh, begin to sort of say like, yeah, like he might be there, but if he's there, he doesn't really care about me. You might buy into these lies of like, well, see how everything seems to be going up and to the right for those people over there. I've been trying this whole God thing and it hasn't changed everything. You know, one of the difficult truths, one of the lies that people uh, unconsciously have either been told or believed is that when you start following Jesus, all your dreams will come true. Everything will be rainbow and sunshine. That you'll be like you're, you know, floating. And I wish that was true, right? But it's not, which, which again, what, what a terrible sales pitch, right? If you're wanting people to start following Jesus, hey, would you like to sacrifice lots of things? Oftentimes feel alienated by the rest of the world. And by the way, you still will probably suffer. Follow Jesus, anyone? Come on up. That's not a great sales pitch, right? Because the truth is, there is so much joy and goodness that comes from following Jesus, not only in this world, but in the next. But sometimes I think along the way, we have not always told people the whole truth about following Jesus is going to be hard. And it's going to be painful at times. And it's going to have us feeling questionable at times about what we're doing, which then sometimes is going to lead us to believe these lies of maybe God doesn't actually care for me. Maybe he's mad at me. Maybe he's just like, ah, forget them. We tried this. Yet we know that God is good, right? We know that God is powerful. We know that God is near. And ultimately, God is near because he wants to be near to you. You know, one of the most profound truths that uh, has, has become more powerful to me in, in the last few years of my life uh, has been this idea that God does not need to have relationship with you, but he wants to have relationship with you. He so desires to be close to me that he has been willing. If you look at the story of scripture, this, this book of truth, it's a constant story of a God who is going after people who continue to run away from him which don't make that sound like a stalker story, okay? But one of the things that's incredible is though we continue to mess up, to get it wrong, to sometimes really pretty much look at him and say, go away, he continues to pursue us because he loves us. In Second Peter, it says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In John, we, we, we all know this famous, these famous lines, but these are so important and foundational to remembering how God actually feels about us and what his desire in this world is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We sometimes need to be reminded that God is not desiring uh, in his holiness, in his call for holiness, uh, to condemn anyone. His goal is to bring life, in life that brings full abundance. His desire is to be close to his children. His desire is to look at them, and as we talked about last week, look at them and hear the lies that they have been believing. And to look at them and ask them the question, who told you that? Because it wasn't me. And let me tell you the truth, that I have created you to be good. I have created you to be near. 
I have created you to experience love and joy and peace and hope that nothing in this world can give you. So stop believing the lies. Lean into the truth. Last couple things before the band's going to come up. We're going to sing one more song, and then we're going to dunk some kids. First thing is this. Uh, what we believe about God is ultimately the basis for how we see ourselves and others. How we see God is the template that will ultimately uh, be how we are going to look at ourselves and how we are going to look at others. And we're going to talk, we're going to drill into that more in the coming weeks. But ultimately, this foundational piece, again, of understanding who God is, how he operates, what his intentions with us in this world are, will ultimately affect how we are going to have any worldview, especially about ourselves and others. And if you are a parent or a grandparent, Ultimately, how you see God and how you reflect who God is to your kids and your grandkids, good, bad, or ugly, will be what is the template, the basis for how your kids will interact and view who God is. So be careful to make sure that you give them the good and true God. Not a God who is there just to write down every time we get something wrong. Not the God who's there to give us the lecture every time. But maybe we should be, make sure that we are telling them about a God who is full of truth and justice, love and grace, all of these things together, not just one, but the whole thing. And here's the second thing. What we believe about God will dictate both our presence and our eternity. Ultimately, how we live in this life will affect where we end up in our eternity. For those of us who believe the lie that God isn't real, that God isn't there, there's the sad reality that there will be a rude awakening in the end. And ultimately, how we live in this world and how we reflect who God is to others also will lead to how others may have their eternity. But not only that, one of the things that I, I think sometimes we forget is God is not here. His desire is not just for the church to be a place where they, can, where they come together and they tell people where they could go and they die someday. That's wonderful and eternity is going to be great. But also, Jesus came into this world. He came as, as hope and truth and love. So that way, in this world, we may start experiencing the love and the joy and the taste of the kingdom now. And so how we decide to believe who God is will ultimately affect how we get to experience life today, which then will lead to how we live life in eternity. So the question for all of us, the thing we all have to wrestle with is, really begin with this idea of do we believe that God is who he says he is? Do we believe that he's there, that he's good, that his intentions are for us? And will those beliefs translate into relationship? I'm going to ask if you guys, uh, if, if you guys want to stand as we're going to sing uh, this last song, uh, I'm going to pray and uh, we're going to sing one last one. But as we are doing this, if if anyone wants to, I'm going to be over here if anyone wants to pray. If anyone has something like, man, there's a, there's a lie I've been believing and I'd love someone to pray with me. Um, maybe this is the moment for you uh, to kind of cross that line and just say, acknowledge that God is who he says he is. Uh, and maybe for you to ask him for forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for uh, your goodness. And we are so grateful for the fact that uh, though oftentimes we are uh, given the opportunity to believe lies about who you are. Lies that say, uh, that are they're counter to your truth that we find in scripture. Uh, Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you are unchanging. That you have never changed. That you have been gracious 
and loving and constantly seeking relationship and restoration of, of, uh, of relationships and justice for the oppressed and all of those things, Father, since the very beginning. And Father, we are so grateful for the fact that your, your grace and your mercy doesn't change despite our unfaithfulness. Father, this morning, uh, would you help any lies that we have allowed uh, get into our mind and our hearts about you? Would you allow them, as we sing this last song, to just melt away? And would you bring your truth uh, forward so we know um, how good you are, how much you are for us, and uh, just your desire for us to be with you forever? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.